Now we're going to have a chat with uh, Adam Richardson from AT Richardson Wines. Good morning to you, Adam. Hey, guys. How you doing? Going well. Thank you. Good morning, Adam. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. How, uh, how's the weather um, in the Grampians today? Is that where we find you? Yes, it is, Grampians, yep. Uh, it's actually beautiful today. Nice, chilly, bright, sunny morning. So, mm. yeah, I've just harvested. I actually harvested my um, Tanat and Nebbiola yesterday, so I'm feeling pretty good about life today. Mm. Well, that's a that's that's perfect timing, um, given that uh, <laughs> we want to speak about your Tanat because of t- the World Tanat Day coming up on the 14th of April. Uh, very good. What a day, yep. What, what a special so, yeah, day. Happy to, um, happy to talk about Tanat. As a, yeah, don't usually get the chance to talk about Tanat, so let's go. Why don't, why don't we, sorry, Jill, why don't we start with um, what is, for, for anyone who hasn't had it, doesn't really know about it, um, give us something that it's most similar to that people will, will, will know uh, as a wine style. Um, well, there's a... Really, it, it can be a, a number of different things. Um, as a, similar to a wine style, it, it could be. I mean, most people know Shiraz, I think, and it's probably typically you'll taste a Tanat w- without any oak in it. So it's going to be like a quite a, a bold but fruity Shiraz. Not so much peppery, more of the more in the the berry fruit profile. Um, sometimes it um, the tannins from that it gets its name, Tanat, Tannins, can be quite dominant. But generally nowadays, not so much. They're more in the they're more in the background, um, just creating quite a quite a, a, a wine with a lot of character, but not necessarily a lot of strength all of the time, which is what people commonly think of with Tanat. So mostly a fruit, a relatively bold wine with a with quite a bit of fruit concentration. It, it it doesn't seem to be you know it's as as Simon has said it's it's not really um, a wine that people come across often and uh, it's not really grown that much. Why is that? It, it's one of those great varieties that I guess just somehow missed out in the whenever on when wine was becoming popular outside of out of Europe. People were thinking of Bordeaux and Burgundies um, and and things like that. And it was it was a uh, it was it, it's been grown in France for a long time in a in a small region near Toulouse called Madaran, and that's where yeah. I first encountered it. Uh, was with those with those style of wines, which I think of as a, as sort of quite old world, and obviously a lot of them are now being made in a more modern in a more modern way. Um, the yeah. other cool thing about Tanat is if you come from South America, apparently it's the national grape of Uruguay, which. Um, when I, I, which was stunning to me. So it's it's actually one of the main grapes grown in one of the, one of the the regions in South the South Americas. So um, I think now I've probably tasted more um, tanats from Uruguay than I have from anywhere else. Right. <laughs> so, well, and, there's, and that's not saying a lot because I haven't tasted that many tanats <laughs> compared to lots what? of other varieties. So why did you choose it? Um, I, it's one of the it's one of the uh, the few varieties I've planted here that just piqued my attention when I was um, you know, I spent a lot of time traveling around the world working with winemakers around the world and it was one that I, I just came across and thought that's that's got an intriguing structure it's got an intriguing flavor uh, it it felt to me at the time it had a sense of place when I was tasting the wines from the from the Mataran region and I thought well I wonder how that would go here in Australia um, and in particular in this cool climate here. Um, and I thought I just I just I planted Tanat, Nebbiolo, and Derif or Petite Sarah here, three varieties that I've worked with around the world. 
wondering how they'd go here. Um, and I've actually I've been very glad how they've worked out. Um, and the, this sort of experiment has paid off for me personally here. Um, yeah. But it's just, it's a bit different. It's, uh, it's different, but it's good. Mm. It actually has some very, uh, very special, interesting properties. And one is that um, it's actually the the highest. It has the highest levels of antioxidants than any any other red wine grape. So um, maybe maybe we should just be you know, hitting up talking more the the healthy side of it and say, you know, <laughs> if you really want to be good to your heart, drink some tannin. Yes, I, well, I think so. Good to your heart and good to your palate, most importantly. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and again, I think that's probably. That probably relates to its name more. Obviously, the um, those antioxidants come from the tannin side of the wine, yeah. more so than what people think is the perception of tannin, because they have a unique type of tannin, not necessarily a lot of tannin. So the tannin in Tanat is not the same as you would get in Shiraz. In Shiraz, yeah. it can be a bit furry and and I mean rough could be one way of of describing an excess of Shiraz tannins, where Tanat, they're much more metallic and steely and I think of as finer tannins. Mm. And I think that's the anti that's the sort of the character I associate in my mind with antioxidant type tannins if I'm thinking in those sure. terms. Mm. So what sort of food would you would you pair it with? You know, I I actually think um, it depends it always depends on how the wine is made or how the grapes are grown. But I think Tanat is quite a versatile wine because the tannins are quite fine and metallic. You can go down the avenue of like smelly cheeses. I love with it because they work together really well. Um, red meats, of course. Um, but I've even had my Tanat with seafood, like um, something with a with a sauce. Um, like I'm thinking prawns in a pasta sauce, something like that. Even um, Even a salmon. Um, sesame, soy, salmon, something like that that's got a bit of... Um, the umami flavour or whatever. Yes, yes, something yeah. like that, that the, tannin, that the tannins in the tannat, which we keep talking about the tannins in the tannat, really it's the overall structure and how the fruit is attached to the structure of the tannat wine, I think works with, like you say, with the foods with umami, I think it just it's a it's no brainer. It just really works well together. Very versatile wine too, because of the because of that, it can go with a lot of different a lot of different foods. How many producers um, are there in Australia for Tanat? Do you know? I honestly don't know, but I don't think there'd be more than five or ten. Um, mm. But I'm, I'm I'm guessing at that. Um, I know no one around here makes it. That's about all I know. So yeah. Yes. Now, I found it interesting that you're literally the only growers of it, and I wanted to ask you why other people in the region aren't growing if it is the right sort of climate. It's a, and it, it may come down to the fact that when you plant a vineyard, the ultimate decision you, you, you need to do is you need to stay in business, and a lot of the time trying new varieties is a bit of a business risk in for a lot of people. Um, and I think that's honestly that's that's one of the, the drivers of why we have so much Shiraz, we have so much Chardonnay, we have so much Pinot Grigio and Riesling is because they're relatively safe bets in a relatively unsafe business proposition. But once you once you can release a little bit of that financial um, constraint and you, you follow your gut or your passion a lot more, I think you, you start to see people doing more of this. Um, and we've got, I mean, the consumer base in Australia, is a, I think, is a compared to a lot of consumers in the other New World countries, are very, very, um, they're very brave, they're very interested, and they're very knowledgeable. So I think if you're making decent wines in Australia, 
it doesn't matter what variety it is, people are going to taste them and get into them and mm. word will get out. So, I, I, you know, we can make the wines in Australia that people want to drink and people would want to drink just about anything in Australia as long as it's good and has, has quality elements to it. It's For interesting. Sure. We, we just chatted with Colleen Miller um, from Marit Wines. Um, yep. Uh, and just while I'm on that, Marit Wines is M-E-R-I-T-E wines.com. Uh, we just had a, a question from one of our listeners. Um, so, but she was saying the two things. One was when they planted their Melbeck, they, um, they they wanted to do a test and they, they tried three to four different clones or four different clones. Um, so they had to see how it grew on site. So one question is going to be, did you have to do a lot around, you know, a lot of you know trial and error? But the other thing was she said, we looked at the price per tonne and we decided we're just going to grow this to make wine with it, not for us to sell it. And so it changed the way they set up their vineyard because that was the outcome they wanted. It was the wine, not so much, um, you know, per tonne um, dollars, you know, dollar amount. Yes, and, and it's all one of those, it's, it's great to see that they're doing the same sort of thing as me. They're, they're, they're following a passion. They want to, to make a wine and if sales happen to come, that's great. Um, and not every, not every business can do that. I'm, I'm very driven by the the wines I like to drink so I've been very fortunate that I can do um, I can do both I, I've, I've had a career where I've made wines for other people to their styles um, and I've spent 20 something years doing that and it's only once I left that that I realized there's a whole new world out there if you take control of your mm. of your wine business in your vineyard um, you can do whatever you like and it works. People, if people like it and it's a decent a decent wine, it, it will work. Maybe not in a huge way. It won't change the world, but it will hopefully change someone's world a little bit when they taste mm-hmm. something new that they like, um, and that will lead to more more to that being planted eventually, hopefully. Yeah, that's right. And it's actually that's put very beautifully. Um, well, on that, around the world, you've spent a lot of time um, a, a growing and making wine all around the world in some of the most most well-known places. And you've held some very interesting positions, like the chief winemaker for Treasury Wine Estates Americas. I can imagine that was uh, that was pretty hands-on. Actually, the opposite, it was, uh, which is why I didn't stay in that role for particularly long. It was very much a corporate a corporate role and it was the last it was the last role I took in my career before I left the corporate world to come back and just and live on my vineyard and make my wines um, but some of the some of the roles prior to that were were quite hands-on the uh, one of the I guess the best roles I had was um, I, I was working for a large company in America and I was charged with traveling around the world meeting um, winemakers viticulturalists and um, vineyard owners to work with them hand in hand to create wines from their region that epitomised their their regions that I would then we would make and take back to the US to sell in the US under a, under a range of brands. So it's sort of for myself it was a dream job where I just got mm-hmm. to hang out with a lot of really cool people around the world, come up with some cool ideas, make some wines that epitomised their region that suited the US palate. Um, yep. So that that was a lot more hands-on because I really was not necessarily having my hands in the fermenters, but I was certainly hand in hand, if you like, with the guys who were doing that. Um, and it was a very creative and, and fun process that, that really drove, um, it was the, one of the key drivers to, to get me to where I am, where I'm planting my own, my own weird varieties and making my own um, style of wines from those. Sure. And was, was this, were you, were you California based? 
Yeah, I was California-based. I spent almost or a bit over 20 years based in California um, doing yeah, re- various um, jobs in the wine industry in California. So I found it interesting that you actually bought the um, you bought the vineyard in 2005, but you were still living in the US. You didn't actually move out to Oz until about to 2016. So that's quite a, a hefty period. Who, who was running the vineyard? <laughs> yes, a lot of people struggle with. <laughs> who that was doing all the work? Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I actually bought a um, I actually bought a sheep paddock in 2005 and had, had planted vineyard and then started um, building the winery and the tasting room since then. Um, but I was given that that role I talked about, where I travelled around the world and worked with people um, around the world, I I became very familiar quite quickly with with almost working making wines by remote control, if you like, by finding. Mm-hmm people I trusted who would who could do um, who understood what I was after could do could work with me and do what what we wanted without me necessarily being there on top of them um, working side by side so that that allowed me to sort of create this this um, winery here while I was on the other side of the world I've got a, a neighbor Andrew Toomey who has a brand Miners Ridge and he looked after the vineyard for me. He he did most of the work in the vineyard for me while I wasn't here. I'd obviously visit, you know, three four times a year sometimes um, to work and and sort of guide him as to what I was after. But I just I basically had people here who I who I met and got on with, and they and I just entrusted them to look after things while I wasn't here. Sure. Okay. Yeah. The fact that you you were actually born in Western Australia, weren't you? Yes, I was. Yep. Yep, so, and, but you, I, I guess you, you didn't have anything to do with the wine industry back then. No, I had quite a bit to do with the beer industry back then, but that was all <laughs> on the consumption side. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, a, lot, a lot of our movement. <laughs> so I'm wondering why, uh, I just thought, you know, it's you know, coming from Western Australia, if maybe that was where once you started getting the, you know, your, your passion for wine and, and making the decision to move from, well, you're in aviation, yeah. to move from aviation to winemaking, that uh, not to go back to your grassroots in Western Australia, um, instead uh, on the other side of Australia, quite interesting. Yeah, well, I, 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 I sort of joke, just tongue-in-cheek, saying I was from the, you know, involved in the beer industry. But really, I, I, I left Western Australia as, as someone quite ignorant to wine. I, I think when I left as a 19-year-old, I wasn't even aware that Western Australia made wine. Um, and then I spent, I spent <laughs> 10, years in the, 10 years in the Australian Navy. And as, while I was in the Navy, I, was, I started having dinner parties and and focusing on food and wine in my probably mid-20s I started to think oh this wine is actually a pretty cool thing it's it tastes better than beer it's a lot more interesting there's a lot more to learn about it um and that's really from from cooking and trying to pair food with wine it was the beginning of my journey I guess and eventually I I decided I, I there was such a thing as a winemaker you could actually do that as a job so I went away to university and um it started from there where did you study? Uh, Charles University. Okay, so you you um you lived in Adelaide for a bit then. Uh, no, uh, Charles Sturt University. That Roseworthy is that was at the time the the oh. Adelaide based university. Charles Sturt was based in Wagga Wagga, and I, yeah. I did a lot of that by correspondence. They offered a, at the time a, a, a predominantly um, by correspondence distance education um, course in winemaking, wine science. Uh-huh. So I I had the opportunity to. To work at university part time, you do a, a you study and then you go and work in the industry at the same time. So really, you're 
you're learning the academics while you're actually learning the the hands-on hmm. applied side as well. It's a bit, it sounds yeah, like that, a better way for it to happen, I reckon. Yeah, it, to me, it's very logical. It, it's, it's more like a, a trade, isn't it, then, that doing it yes, that way? Yes, it is, yeah. And that, I mean, really, winemaking and grape growing, is it's a tactile process. You, you really, you can learn the science of it in the classroom, but until you actually physically get your hands and your feet dirty, hmm. you're, you're, you know, you're, you're not quite there. Just, just touching on that, we've, we've never actually spoken about Wagga, um, Wagga Wagga being, you know, really on the map of, 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 as a wine region, but there are wineries around there and I've been to probably all of them. Um, yep. what's, what's your take on the, on the, on the, on the wines from Wagga? Um, well, I, to be honest, it's been quite a while since I've had any Wagga Wagga wines. I, I know when I was in the university there in the nineties, they, the university itself was making its wines, and I thought they were—I thought they were quite smart. Very um, at the time, they were very approachable. Um, quite deep flavours in most of the reds, but still quite soft. Um, and I—I it, it, I mean, I guess they'd have to be pretty good if they're teaching people to make wine. Um, oh, you'd hope so. Wine would be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I remember having the Chardonnay. The... Sorry. Oh, sorry. I, I, just, I remember having the Chardonnay. The Charles Sturt Chardonnay was actually yeah. really good. Mm. Um, Adam, thank you. It's been um, it's been really a great chat about about a varietal that we don't really know much about. But now I want to try one. I know, well, me too. Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, you guys and your your listeners will um, search out some some Tanats and um, maybe celebrate Tanat Day with an actual bottle of Tanat. So, um, yes. Wait, which what's the date of it, Jill? Tanat. It's the fourteenth. Fourteenth of mm-hmm. April. Okay. It must be Thursday. It'll be Thursday. Right. So, we've, we've so got Adam, Adam, can we get apart from your website, which we should yep. give the web address? But is there are there any stockists in Melbourne that you know of? I um, there would be, but unfortunately, I don't have them at the tip of my tongue. That's okay. Um, but um, but if people yeah, if people wanted to go to the website, um, they will be able to guide them to to somewhere where they can get it, or we could yeah, we'll send them a bottle from the website. Okay, and so the website. Yes. Uh, the website is atrwines.com.au. Excellent. Okay. Uh, and, and of course, someone, if, if anyone wants to get it, um, you know, to actually have it on, on Thursday, uh, we, Australia Post may not get it there by then. But so can people send you an email and just ask about stockists and things? And yeah, for sure. Search? Yep, yep. There is a, um, yep, there'll be an email on the, on the website or a telephone number. Either way, that'll either get myself, my my cellar door girl Michelle. Um, yep. Yeah, so we can certainly, we'll just certainly do our best to get it to someone if they would like it for for Thursday. Excellent. For Thursday, nice. It's always nice <laughs> yeah. to have a goal to work towards, <laughs> and that's my sort of goal. Yeah, your sort of goal. Yeah, yep, that's, that's good. It. Yes. Um, yeah, well, I'll probably have one on on Thursday. So. Well, I think you think you've got to really just to be thorough yeah. about this whole process. Well, I'll actually be tasting my um, my fermentation, which will probably be halfway through by Thursday. So I'll yeah. um, get the best of both worlds before oh, and great. after bottled product. <laughs> that sounds great. Sounds uh, like a, a fun thing to do. Um, yeah. Adam, thank you. It's been great, and uh, and we'll look forward to chatting to you down the track and uh, and coming up. Can we come up and visit and do a tasting? Have you got a? Oh, you said yep. you got a cellar yep. door, yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we have a cellar door. It's um, it's the ATR Wine Lounge. It's um, it's more of a lounge than a cellar, a typical cellar door. It's a, it's quite a, a unique, um, it's a, a unique cellar door in the region, I guess. I um, I wanted to build something that I'd be comfortable sitting in, so <laughs> we did that. Um, and yes, yeah, certainly I've got that, and I think I have about ten, nine or ten wines now on um, on tasting that we we taste through. So people are certainly welcome to come out. It's in um, it's in Great Western, back of Great Western. Um, yeah, it's the HR Wine Lounge. Excellent. Well, it's something on the list, and then the the caves at Seppelt, um or the drives. Um, yeah. Drives? Is it drives? Drives. Yeah, the drives, sorry. Like the one. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, quite a bit to see in Great Western, so that that would be a good weekend for people to uh, to start planning. Yeah, we can certainly fill a day. We we often will between the half a dozen or so wineries here. We'll we'll definitely fill a, a wine tasting day for people. Nice, good one. Uh, a reason Adam, for you to get down here uh, again, Jill. Oh, absolutely. Look, what, what I'm loving is I feel like we've had a lot of people on the show recently um, from Grampians and from Great Western, right. and it's just piquing my interest more and more and more. So, Adam, we'll we'll certainly be uh, be heading there and. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely be dropping in and I'm coming and trying your talent. Well, well, thank you very much for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll um, play some tonight together in the near future. Sounds great. 